Well, Brent is gay, and Caitlin's gay, and Clark is gay, and Ryan's gay, and Adam's gay. It's Homo Superior. Welcome to Homo Superior's Creator Crush Series. I'm Caitlin Batia, and along with me is Brent Wingate, who loves wearing jewelry more than a certain Romani sorceress that we know and love. I can't, I got, I can't lie. I want to steal her looks. All right. To, to wear at a beach. To wear at a beach. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, Creator Crush is an interview series where we chat with our favorite comic book creators, learning more about their work, their thoughts on the industry, and what makes them so darn special. Today, we're joined by the talented and very funny Steve Orlando, who also happens to be our very first Creator Crush. Thanks so much for coming back, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Uh, if you've been living under a rock, you may not know that Steve's been writing Marauders for the last year. He just kicked off an excellent Scarlet Witch series and recently traveled to the year 2099 to write Spider-Man 2099. And we had the chance to hang with Steve uh, at last year's FlameCon, where he participated in our panel, The X Games, not affiliated with The X Games. Steve, thanks so much for taking the time to come back on Homo Superior. Yep, happy to do it. I didn't even uh, know it was your first creator crush, by the way, but that's a great honor. So I'll take it. Um, I want to ask a gotcha question, Steve. Um, I don't mm. know if I'm supposed to announce it's a gotcha question first. Uh, how did you celebrate your New Year's? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, you, you might have seen on the Instagram that New Year's is my big party. Like, so I, it's like everybody has a holiday, perhaps, that they really like. New Year's is mine. I like it because it's broadly speaking non denominational and it's also low stress. You know, like all you have to do is eat a lot of food and drink uh, with friends and celebrate each other. Right. So, so I find it uh, very, very, in a spiritual sense and a social sense, great. So, yeah, I just cooked an, a huge amount of food. Um, I, my, my friend and fellow creator crush, Jarrett Melendez, uh, always comes over or I go over there depending, but one way or another, we cooked mass, cook massive amounts of food every year and then have over as many people as we can, uh, to, to stuff that food in their mouth and, and fly them with, with, uh, with drink as well. Uh, and then usually about 2 AM, we're the only ones up. So we light our, we light our cigars and that's the finish line on the year. Uh, but this year, I mean, we did all that, uh, specifically, uh, I, we took, I cooked a, we cooked a five pound boneless leg of lamb that we then wrapped in pork belly and slow cooked, uh, for the afternoon. I made, uh, one of the, my air fryer whole chickens, which is my first ever food writing credit. You can look it up in Epicurious. My first recipe is about air oh, fryer whole chicken. Congratulations. Um, when you have and, an uh, end with the guy at Epicurious, it gets easier. Boom, it's almost like I know a guy. And, uh. <laughs> And uh, and then I made uh, my. Do you, my do you break down the chicken before putting it in the air fryer, or do you just shovel it in the drawer? No, and... you shovel. You just shove that bitch in, and that that's the nice thing about it. So, um, and then I made a giant tray of stuffing. Uh, my my boyfriend suggested I try making stuffing out of soft pretzels, so I which worked. Uh, so I made a Bavarian uh, Bavarian pretzel stuffing. Uh, for for and then there's a bunch of other shit too. But the long term of it is, I cook all day and I start drinking at like one because how can you cook otherwise? Yeah. Uh, and and then we just feed people into the night uh, and and easily my favorite holiday of the year. Well, it's definitely one of the top tier holidays for sure uh, because you also get to make promises to your future self and then never have to fulfill on them. <laughs> Uh, well, we, uh, Brent and I threw a New Year's Eve party with a couple of friends. Brent was the chef and he made an amazing uh, couple of different kinds of sandwiches, open face sandwiches. He did chana masala for the first time, which is one of my favorite dishes. 
and I had the very important duty of coming up with a playlist. Uh, so I worked just as hard as Brent, right, Brent? Spotify. Spotify. Thank you, Spotify. Yeah. Listen, my playlist is usually I like I like something about it. I like 1920s music for New Year's, but at about and I, I'll tell you why it's because of The Shining. There's a real reason because yeah. 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 the picture is at a New Year's party, and so inevitably for New Year's, I think of that picture and Shining style music. Uh, that made you gotta so get a photo of everyone together, and you're not in it, and then you take another photo with you in it, and then over the course of the night, switch the image out. Listen, I frequently refer to most Comic Cons as being like the Overlook Hotel because they all look the same and you like you've been in an airplane, but then you walk in and somehow you're in the same place. Yeah. yeah. You feel like it's oh, you've always been here, Mr. Orlando, you know, like so I, I feel that. Anyway, my playlist got shut down at about 10 when we had to put Renaissance on. So that's how that went. <laughs> One of the best albums of 2022. So I uh, in our playlist, my playlist, uh, I put pretty much the whole album out of order. And then I got people angry at me for putting it out of order because Beyonce is a genius and I'm not. Listen, it was on Obama's uh, 2022 list. So you're in the clear. You can you can do any. And he and, you know, you, if he can put random songs on, you can also play songs in random. Order. We also had a weird selection of uh, 20s jazz. So. Good choice on you. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into the creator crush, uh, Steve. Um, we'll, let's start talking about Scarlet Witch. But uh, before we get there, you've been an architect for the Cohen era of the X books for the past year or so, specifically about a book about mutants who rescue other mutants. But what drew you to pitch and write a series about the Pretender? No, no I'm kidding. But seriously, why did you want to write a series about Wanda Maximoff? AKA the Scarlet Witch. Are your are your nerves still raw over House of M by chance? Uh, no, I'll never get over it. I'll, I just won't. I'm sorry, man. Listen, if listen, if mutants in story can get over it, um, I promise. So too can you. Uh, but uh, and I've said that before in interviews. Um, <laughs> you know the thing is, is that like joking aside, that like Wanda has. It sounds absurd to say because she's someone who can like snap her fingers and turn a planet into like a butterfly that flies away and then freezes in the vacuum of space because I didn't think that metaphor out. Uh, but at the same time, I find her extremely relatable. And I, I, I feel that she has gone through through a comic book lens, right? Because comic books are absurd. Uh, she's gone through many of the things that, that we have to. A lot, a lot of comic book heroes, like maybe they have one big mistake. Like Spider-Man has one, like every day he wakes up and he's like, oh, if only that burglar, you know? Uh, but Wanda has like a, th like not, has a thousand burglars. I mean, not a thousand, but you know what I mean? Like I, I, she has had a much more of a start and stop backsliding. Uncle Ben for her every single day. <laughs> 365 Uncle Ben's. No, uh, but Uncle's Ben is actually the plural yeah, but, excuse me. <laughs> but but joking aside, like her life has been much more like ours, ours, like a like like a like a traditional person. She strives. She sometimes she makes it, sometimes she doesn't. Sometimes she makes catastrophic mistakes. Of course, with her power and the world she lives in, those catastrophic mistakes are literally catastrophic instead of just seeming to be so in a personal sense. Um, and, and on top of that, she, you know, she hasn't had like a completely linear family life. Her family is a bizarre as only comics can deliver. Uh, but most folks have a, have a blended family these days. So joking aside, even though she's this character that has undergone these wild cosmic stories and, 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 and wields these pheno this phenomenal cosmic power, uh, and doesn't have an itty bitty living space, like it's. I find her to be very approachable because she has her struggle really is ours. Her struggle is ours through the lens of how comics can be crazy 
and and strange and surreal. But at the end of the day, she is someone trying to uh, reckon with her past and find a way to move forward, find her own happiness, find her own uh, sense of purpose and, and define all those things on her own terms. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to me, when you say it like that, that's kind of what everybody's trying to do. Uh, of course, like uh, she is doing it in a, in, a, in, a, in a gorgeous outfit with necklaces and a tiara, but she's still trying to do the same thing we are, which is why I've always been really drawn to her. Do you think there's any problems with that in like scale? Like the stuff that Wanda's done isn't like, oh, I told a lie that, you know, snowballed into catastrophe. It's I wiped out of, I committed genocide in some capacity. Well, she didn't technically commit genocide. Not everybody died, but even, but even if she had, um, to be quite frank, she would not be alone in that on Krakoa. You know, like people conveniently forget that Bishop killed thousands of people uh, throughout time during the Messiah War. Um, and he nobody brings that up uh, nearly ever. Uh, so my next question was about Bishop. Do you think- <laughs> should really, You should really talk to the writer of that book. Uh, but, um, so, I mean, to be honest, yeah, like th there's of course, like, yes, obviously we don't make decisions for the most part that have those repercussions. Um, but that's what I mean when I say the comic book lens, everything is bigger in comics, uh, and, 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 and everything's bigger in the world of superhumans. Um, and at the same time, like, uh, certainly like we have made, Many of us, I won't speak for all of us, but many of us have made mistakes or choices that have felt like the end of the world. Uh, the only difference is, of course, that for Wanda, sometimes it really is. Yeah. So in um, in her most well-known incarnation in the MCU, um, as portrayed by Elizabeth Olsen, um, Wanda, in her show, you know, she enslaved a town in North Jersey. Uh was it deliberate in your part in the first issue that came out last week? And by the way, everyone should have read it by now because it's fucking awesome. Did you make the uh, corruptor be the antagonist deliberately to kind of like kind of flip the switch a little bit of taking on somebody who can essentially bend people to his will? Yeah, I mean, well, for the record, I just think that uh, what she does in WandaVision as someone who has is dating someone from someone from New Jersey, like she's really just a public works hero. <laughs> <laughs> right right uh yes she imprisoned people from new jersey but you have to remember they're from new jersey right yeah, no i mean she's just, she's she's still got a plaque in westview uh but uh joking aside um i uh listen i i recently uh got god love comics beat made me one of their writers of the year we thank them for that i'm very humbled and to that end they described me as being one of the industry's most humble creators so I'm going to tell you, that was not the plan. Uh, I, I'd love to, I, I, I'd love to be like, yes, I definitely meant to subvert the show. Now we did have a plan, uh, but it was, but it was not that that's a happy accident. And, uh, and I'm happy to say that the, the idea with the villains and the most of Wanda's first arc, starting with the corruptor is that they encapsulate a lot of things that she has gone through in her past decades of, uh, real world existence and however long she's been around in comic book time. Um, and that, of course, women like her, powerful women tend to deal with in general in the real world. So for the corrupter, you have gaslighting. You know, every she, he's he's changed this entire town, but only one person knows. And of course, everyone tells her she's crazy. Right. Uh, something something Wanda can relate to. So I, I and you'll see that going forward. Different things that Wanda's had to deal with uh, off the top of my head. A survivor's guilt uh, plays into Vision's uh, struggles. Uh, or survivor skill might be issue three. I I forget because it's late in the night. But that so that is the core of where we found how we found the villains for the first arc. The the, the macro villain that's 
Um, I suppose it's not a big spoiler that someone is after Darcy because she's hiding. So I won't say who it is, but that is based around like duty and obligation. Um, so there is a there is a plan, but I will say that consciously at least, like subverting Westview is not the plan. Fully happy accident, but I'm also not gonna complain about it. You know, it's some there's some sometimes things just work out, you know, and 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 I will not complain when that happens. Are you a big consumer of um short form sci-fi like the Twilight Zone? Because in this issue of Scarlet Witch, I got lots of uh, you know, I've got all the time in the world, but my glasses broke. Like, oh, you, you could, the town, you can be free, uh, you know, but the town has to let you free. They have to forgive you. Um, does it, does any of that sci-fi affect the way that you write Scarlet Witch or is it just a coincidence that cursed objects, you know? Well, that's not a coincidence, but it's funny. I think that the things like, you know, it's serialized. uh, I'll even say just serialized genre stuff is a strong influence. Um, And I think you're not even off base again with what I what I enjoy when you think about things at the Twilight Zone. But to me, what you're really describing that we went for is 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 the the interrogation of of morality Uh, like and you get that in Twilight Zone all the time, by the way. I just don't think it's necessarily I, I mean. I can't say consciously went out to do, as, as you said, like genre science fiction or short form science fiction, but to to make things not easy, uh, like and, and, and analyze the, the morality and even what we think of as common superhero morality. Right. Like there's plenty of books where where someone would just cheer as the townsfolk smash that statue. Uh, but that's not Wanda, you know, and more so that might have been Wanda 10 years ago. Uh, but but she's 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 learned uh, you know, what comes after that. So, I mean, and also like, I just, I don't like people, uh, I don't like letting people off the hook. Having a bad thing happen to you doesn't mean give you the right uh, to pursue equally bad or not even equally bad, but another bad thing. So I like, I, yeah, I try to get everything. We try to get everything we can out of one of these, uh, one of these issues. And it would be really easy to just like not challenge the people of the town too, but um, you know, we live, we live in the real world. So, uh, and, and in that world, you can't just go around murdering people, murdering people, uh, out of revenge. Um, so in the comic book world, yeah, we want to, we want to challenge everyone. We want to interrogate everyone, even the things that feel right. Like you want them to just be like, Oh, fuck that guy and kick him over. Uh, but you know, maybe look at yourself if, if, if that's what you're thinking. Well, I think the the thing I really enjoy about, you know, certain sci-fi stories and any, as you put it, interrogation of morality are the uncomfortable thoughts you're left with afterward. And in this story, uh, leaving, you kind of uh, leave it on a cliffhanger. The town now is in charge of deciding, you know, their tormentor's fate. And you can, it's hard for me to not think of our modern society and think, well, what do you think they're fucking going to do? Are they going to break off his hands and then decide, eh, maybe we shouldn't go any further uh, will they actually forgive him? And it's really hard to imagine that. Um, well, yeah, he's getting free today. <laughs> I don't think they'll they'll free him anytime soon. But again, you're I mean, what you're describing, and also like, I think that that to me is a part of Wanda's character. She, for better or worse, uh, is not going to do something for someone. Uh, you know, because plenty of people, and we t- and that comes up in issue three too. Like she's been talked over her whole life, which is another thing that uh, people like her tend to face in the real world. Um, so for good, for better or worse, I mean, she's not perfect. Uh, you know, she's not an angel, um, and she's not going to do it for him. Uh, and, and, and I do think that that's key to her character. She'll, 
And that's something that I've learned as well. I mean, there's a little bit of that in Marauders. We can talk about that later too. But like one of the big things, one of the big things I learned about help uh, and like aid and benevolence, if, whatever buzz phrase you want to. Um, help is a fine word. Yeah. Like uh, use uh, when I was doing disaster relief uh, in, I guess, 2018 is that, um, and this actually gets quoted in an, in an upcoming issue of, uh, of, uh, of, of an X book. So you'll see where now folks will know where I got it from, but my friend, Jose Andres likes to say uh, that his mentor, Robert Egger taught him that, um, that in, in this case, charity is not about the redemption of the giver. It's about the liberation of the receiver. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 and how that applies to relief is, you know, Jose always tells this story and, and this is about beans, not life and death, but where, when he went to Haiti and he's like a Michelin star chef. Yeah. We're, we're as DC based. We love Jose Andres. Yeah. So he goes to Haiti, right. And he's cooking and he, and he wants to help people and he's cooking them and he makes his Jose Andres beans and, and, and no one will eat them. And he's, and, and, and he's like offended, you know, like I'm Jose Andres, you won't eat my beans. <laughs> And uh, and they explain that that's not how they cook beans, uh, either in their either in their area or in Haiti in general. Uh, and that and and he had to go back and and especially having lost everything, people deserve to have things their way, and have just that little bit of dignity, uh, and take ownership of their own of their own climb back. So he you know he made the beans the way they like, and and that story's followed him for years and years because Haiti was a long time ago, longish time ago. And Wanda's not making beans for someone, but I think about that a lot. I think about that a lot in Marauders, which we can hit on later. And I think about that in this book. She knows that when you help someone, it can't be on your terms as the right. help. It has to come on their terms because otherwise you're not helping them. You're helping yourself. Right. Yeah. It's very Salvation Army, uh, not to denigrate a charity, but, you know, they're homophobic trash. But um, they, you know, like it becomes about like, uh, you know, your own salvation versus actually helping somebody. So I have a lot of thoughts on it. I really appreciate kind of what you said. I also really appreciate, uh, this is not a question, this is a statement, but I appreciate, uh, I know we made some jokes about Wanda early on, but I love that like you've just made her like a hero again. And oftentimes <laughs> in, over the last 15 years, it's been, she's gone from, you know, being, uh, you know, somebody who had uh, no agency and just, you know, causing all this chaos quite literally uh, and, um, you know, or being like a plaything for somebody else and then just like causing mayhem and damage and just seeing her as a superhero was incredibly refreshing. Uh, and I really, really enjoy that. And I'm looking forward to, you know, the next several issues. And having her in, in your dark hold storyline actually embody the Thon scrolls, I thought was a good way of kind of, uh, signaling to everyone. All right we don't have to keep going back to this well in the same exact way. We can, we can develop the character further. Yeah. And the dark hold stuff might come back. The Cathan scroll stuff might come back, but the lens is going to be different. Right. Cause the, to me, I mean, people think that I'm just some clownish jackass who says fuck a lot on Twitter. And I am that, but I do think about things. Uh, and you know, when I came on to dark hold, my, uh, my sister, or not, not, I guess not my sister-in-law, my cousin-in-law, one of my cousins is a therapist. Um, I have a therapist, like I'm familiar with the, with the, with the field. And, you know, it is a uh, Cathan, especially in this like creeping taint of demonic possession had long been a stand in for Wanda's mental health struggles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, 
in nothing is 100% true but in general when struggling with things like that uh there is no you're, you're rarely cured what you what you seek is management what you seek is 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 a way to master that that whatever you're struggling with and so yeah to me like that's always been one like that's where the realization Wanda has come from she much like in later in issues where one of her weaknesses so to speak if she has one is that she's all powerful but she was still raised as a normal as a human and still thinks like a human she spent all these years trying to destroy Cathan, but as she says in the book, like that wasn't really realistic. But what she yeah. can do is take ownership of him. Uh, yeah. And so that is, I mean, that, I mean, that didn't happen without thought. That that's that's where that moment comes from. And that's and and in that same way, like yes, we may see some of those things down the road. We may not, but if we do, the lens will be different because she will have have new have a new perspective on it. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit because I want to talk about the art, uh, specifically in Scarlet Witch. Uh, but I want to ask you, do you, Ed, when you collaborate with illustrators, do you specifically ask them to make them look as queer and as sexy as possible? And <laughs> specifically, did you ask Sarah Pacelli to drop Pietro like a snack because he looked hot as fuck? Listen, again, I, 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 I other writers might want you to think there's some Machiavellian genius, uh, but I'll be honest with you, like, I trust my collaborators, right? Like, I... It, the script certainly didn't say like you know make you know give give I'm a fuck boy yeah, yeah give Pietro the John Romita hip hop you know that is not what I that is not what it said uh, All Star Batman I'm specifically talking about that cover but uh but um and the statue but uh but I trust Sarah and what I do do is I uh, I do a lot of I look into the major works at minimum if not nearly all the work of people I'm working with and and you can tell what they're gonna crush you know you can tell how to guide them into the things that they enjoy. Yeah. Um, one thing I do really try is I, I talk to the artists I work with and I find out what they're excited about and I find out if they really want to be challenged. Sara wants to be challenged. I just want to draw the same thing every issue. And the good news is, is that we're absolutely not doing that. That's why we're in uh, the dreamscape in, in issue two. That's why we're in uh, Subatomica slash the quantum realm or the microverse, whatever we can legally call it right now in issue three. And that's why issue four is like, um, you know, uh, uh, a fi uh, a duel that Wanda, unlike any Wanda's ever been in, it is a full on fist fighting, like beat down two parter, and that is not something people really expect from Wanda nor Sara for the most part. So, well, you know, I yeah, again, like this, like I, I kind of know what uh, she likes to draw and how she draws people, so I give a little guys that way. But I can't say that I said to make Pietro a fuck boy, and I'll be honest, she made everybody even like you know uh inkier and cuter than i expected to be quite honest because her style is a little different than she used here in something than in mm -hmm. something like spider-man uh but i'm all the more for it yeah no and uh wanda looks great in her new costume as designed by russell dowderman um so uh you're blessed with some awesome uh creative collaborators there um so obviously we're an x-men podcast as folks know uh we want to spend a lot of time talking to you about thunderbird about X-Men Green, and of course, Marauders, which you spent a good chunk of 2022 writing. Let's start with Thunderbird. Uh, you did the one shot uh, with Nyla Rose. Um, you know, th this is a character that's been dead for a lot longer than he's been alive. Uh, he's most famously known for dying on the first mission of the all-new, all-different X-Men. Uh, what were some of the challenges of writing a character like that, where you got to write him for the first time alive in, you know, 40 some years. Yeah. Did you ever think about just like giving him an abnormally squeaky high voice? Just saying like, yeah, that's what, that's the way he was supposed like to Mickey talk Mouse? the entire time. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to be fair, no one knows what he sounds like when he talks. Could really be anything. It could yeah. be, it could, it could be like Nathan Lane when he's threatening people. <laughs> <laughs> 
good old fucking cut your head off. No, like, I don't know. Like, um, we stab actually, but uh, talk to Al about giving him throwing, uh, throwing <laughs> axes. Uh, but anyway, um, well, yeah, I mean, of course, but the thing about the thing that was exciting in a weird way is we realized that much like an actual dead person, uh, like, like fans had started to view him very, very, uh, reverently. And then, and the, there were all these stories about that made it out. Like he was like a great dude, you know, like, Oh, if only that guy was around, but when you go back and read his like three issues, as we all did, he's kind of a jackass, you know, like he, he constantly makes fun of Wolverine for being short. He calls Cyclops one eye, despite his constant protests, uh, about it, you know? And then, yeah, as you said, he dies because he's like, just unwilling to listen to Xavier uh basically he dies out of obstinance um so yeah we realize he's kind of a dick uh and but then that because people had changed the way they view him uh with these like extremely like i mean rose tinted isn't even the word glasses Mm -hmm. um thus his original characterization kind of became fresh characterization uh in a lot of ways um but we liked it too we saw an opportunity there to add dimension to that you know nyla and i both know uh, know people uh, with a similar personality type to to John. I mean, I almost have it too. You know, like I I, I mean, I'm a, tend to be a pretty angry person. Um, so, uh, but not to everyone. My 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 friend who used to works cons with me uh, once told me that I'm kind but not nice, and I took that as it's very New England of you, Steve. It's yeah. very New England. Well, fuck yourself because I'm from New York. But regardless. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, now I'm now this podcast is over. But anyway, uh, <laughs> well, it was great uh, talking to you, Steve. Uh, <laughs> it's great to see you in the next life. But no, uh, where, God, now I'm off. Now I'm off my track. Oh, so yeah, but we knew that like there had to be something more there, and this is why we sat down and we realized that yeah, like when now that he's back, John is that hard ass, and it's really it's it, to to us that was newly refreshing, right? Because unlike when he died. I mean, Wolverine is a fucking icon now. He was like right. a he was like the rookie. So now John comes back and this dude he thought was like uh, like a pushover is running the show. And he thinks that's hilarious. He still doesn't know why Cyclops is in charge. He's a chode. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so it became an opportunity to use him. And that's is what Al is crushing with too. Mm-hmm. Like there's no sacred cows for him. Like he'll say what he thinks all the time. It doesn't really give a shit who you are. Um, and, and that really for us especially with nyla having not done x-men stuff before and 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 discovering krakoa a little bit before the thunderbird issue yeah it gave us a nice lens on what was going on and and it gave us a nice edge for the narration because he says things that maybe other characters have thought but wouldn't say you know like we was some our one of our favorite lines that we that we did in the book is when he you know in the opening he's talking about oh shit like i died and then two white guys uh built himself a reservation or, or and called it, you know, called it, called it a nation or whatever the fuck we said. One of the, the best lines in the book, but yeah. <laughs> you no, know, like called it freedom. Yeah. Built himself a reservation and called it yeah. freedom. Yeah, he maybe like, he was just a man out of time because, uh, you know, coming back now, uh, ignoring Charles Xavier is considered a virtue. Way ahead of his time. Uh, yeah. But also this is like, this is why we created the grandmother character, because that's the thing. Like most people I know who are like him, they've got someone. Right. Like they've got someone that they let their guard down around. And with John, we decided it could only be family. So it could yeah. be it could be James. And then, yeah, just something about, I mean, at least like, and again, this is a weird coincidence, but Nyla and I both had really powerful grandmothers. Uh, mine lived to 101 and it was basically wow. made of like pure leather. And, <laughs> and so, yeah, we just like one of the, one of the other scenes we had from the moment we sat down was like, 
you know, she definitely thinks she can still kick John's ass and he would probably believe it too, even though she's like a four foot tall woman, right? Um, and it, it all just sort of came together as we thought about his character and then also what's unique about native culture. You know, one of the first things, that's why, you know, one of the first things that Nyla brought up is that they probably would not really care if people were mutants. And that's one, and that's one of the reasons that, they, you find them all arrested because they refuse to say who's who at the beginning. You know, like she, she, it was important to her to contrast their that cultural sort of view on on what's different, what's other, or at least partially other, compared to, I mean, most outside cultures. You know, most people are probably just turn the mutants over. Maybe not everybody, uh, but if you look at the world, that seems pretty unique. So it was a challenge, but at the same time, like, again, we clicked right away and it, it was just convenient because I am sort of an asshole myself. And then Nyla's character on TV is very much like Proud Star. So um, we had, we had, we, it was an easy conversation from the start. Um, let's get into we're talking about Marauders and X-Men Green. So the last time you were on our podcast, which is about a, I don't want to say about a year and a half ago, we knew you were taking over Marauders, uh, but the annual and the first issue hadn't come out yet. We've read, we reread it, we've reviewed it on podcast. Um, we want to know, uh, so we'll do a little like quick fire between me and Brent. Um, one, who's your favorite character right in Marauders? And had it, did, it, did you intend for it to be one character and then you realized maybe as you were writing, oh, maybe it's this other character? I mean, no, it was Cassandra Nova and I expected it to be Cassandra Nova. That's why issue 10 was very hard for me. For, for reasons we can spoil or not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, people have had enough time. They 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 can pause the this and we'll spoil. Well, she's trapped. She's trapped in the past. And like, this is something we knew that was going to happen from uh, from moment one with her, right? Like it was fun while it lasted, but, and we did. I mean, I'm happy with how we pushed her into where she was, where she could be this like extreme, uh, I'm not even going to say anti-hero because she's still a mass murderer, an anti-villain, right? Like she, she, you know, the pivot to the fact that she would do anything to protect mutant kind uh, versus anything to destroy it. But of course, as Pride says in her in her letter to her father, you know, that also includes like murdering any fucking mutant she thinks needs to be murdered if they're in the way. So she was still dangerous. And, you know, it just seemed very, especially the way that uh, Jerry had written Kate and how vengeful she was with Shaw, and understandably mm -hmm. so. Like, as people pointed out in the beginning, how could she possibly work with Nova? Well, she's no fool. She'll work with Nova until she can really get her. And then she gets her real good, you know? Yeah, because, I mean, Cassandra Nova is a jerk, just like Professor Xavier, right? So she's more than a jerk, yeah. And, yeah. But, you know, like, I mean, I was, I was like salivating writing the scene where she, I mean, because everybody, I mean, everybody, like, I, I, oh, how could Steve forget that Emma hates Nova? How could forget that fucking, like, Nova killed um, Kate's father? And it's like, no, we know. <laughs> you know yeah and nova doesn't make <clears throat> she makes no bones about it she literally just tells people oh yeah everyone you knew is dead who cares about you you're a piece of shit i don't give a shit about the rules here i'm I mean, still evil you're describing why i love her like specifically her, her you're you're actually quoting a line that i laughed at writing numerous times where she was just like cheer up everyone you know is dead but then yeah. he's like, everybody you know wishes you were dead which i was yeah. very <laughs> Uh, no, the, I, I think it happens, good... it happens that I like laugh as I write something because I'm a giant piece of shit. And so like, so like, <laughs> and, that, and that is one of those lines. Sometimes I will screen cap it and send them to Steve Fox and he'll just be like, you're an idiot. And I'll be like, most of those stayed in the, um, what else? Oh. And like also the shade between Grove and Cassandra Nova, maybe my favorite exchange in the entire oh, series. Yeah, yeah. That was great. I thought it was a very funny 
kind of reintroduction, quote unquote, of Cassandra, that she's literally just playing in the sand, pulling organs out of Krakoa for nothing. There's, <laughs> there's no explanation to it. But from our perspective, she's just yanking organs out of the ground and like she's, playing uh, with them. She's experimenting with her newfound feelings, both good and bad. Uh, but that was another moment we knew from the minute she came on, we were like, boom, she's going to like, she's Jean's going to come talk to her and she's going to realize that like, she's barely changed at all. Like, yeah, where, I mean, one of the earliest scenes that uh, Eleonora and, and Jordan and I put together uh, it was where she was like, oh, like, I really love that you gave me all these all gave me all these emotions because now I like feeling bad almost as much as I like feeling good. Like it's all, you know, and Jean is just like, what have I done? You know, but uh, uh, yeah, no, she's just really fun. I also really like everything we got away with in the Gladiator showdown, like Eleonora's drawing where she's like, Gladiator, is it my birthday? Also one of my favorite things. Uh, <laughs> it was, I, and also, I, Eleonora drew her very well. We're sad to see her go, but she she had to go. She's a mass murdering. Uh, she's, yeah, I mean, in the words of Eddie Izzard, she's a mass murdering fuckhead. So like, she had to go. Well, what I appreciate about it is like, I mean, it's one of those like long. Uh, it's those tropes in the X books of like villains that become so well liked become antiheroes and then become heroes. Like Magneto, I think is a, probably the best example of that. But you know, there are people like Cassandra, people like Sabretooth, and you know, Victor's obviously killing it on that book. Uh, where they're like, no, these these are bad people. There is no redemption for them. They're still interesting characters, but we're not going to make them, you know, like we're not going to venomize them or, or magnetoize them. No, they're at most, I mean, so I will say this. I don't think Cassandra, this is going to be weird to say because she's killed more people than Sabretooth. I don't think that she's as bad as Sabretooth because she would ultimately probably with how she's wired now sacrifice her own life to save mutants. It would probably just be her last resort. Whereas yeah. Sabretooth would never do that. She's almost more like, She's worse than Doctor Doom, but I think of her about her in a lot. I mean, uh, in a way uh, similar to Doom, right? Because Doom will protect Earth if someone else is trying to take it, because it's his fucking place to conquer. Yeah. yeah. Um, and those are my favorite Doom moments, by the way, when he's kind of like, "Well, <laughs> I mean, like you, you've crossed the line, my friend." So, like, yeah. I, that's why I've enjoyed her. And you know, there's a plan. I know how she could come back if we ever get a chance. So, uh, you clearly love uh, '90s and early aughts books i mean the inclusion of strife for example as you know uh, uh, being there in threshold and um i have to ask the upcoming issue which is featured it's about genosha at least that's the previous say is it kind of your love letter to what grant did in their new x-men book with you know cassandra basically using all the various sentinels to destroy the island you know emma being one of the only survivors and the secondary mutation all that kind of stuff is that is that kind of like your way of like paying homage to one of, you know, the most classic runs of the X-Men. I mean, paying homage, yes, but it is, uh, it's not just that, you know, like 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 the, the story of Kate and Cassandra functionally starts in Genosha because that's where she murders Kate's father. And so this is really like the coda to that, as you'll see. Uh, but at the same time, it is in the spirit of Grant uh, because we're trying to throughout this book and, and you know, the, the, how successful we are is, is, is up to individual readers, but we are trying to do a book that thinks differently. Uh, and we are trying to do a book that has characters thinking differently. We are trying to think differently and the characters inside Marauders are actively trying not to think like humans uh, and not accept human limitations, which is why, you know, they attempt this rescue on seemingly impossible two billion years in the past and why ultimately pride has to, deal with the fact that it can't always happen for her 
you know, um, because she is getting too big for her britches in that respect. Uh, There are scales of rescue uh, that are not feasible in a, in, you know, a a socio, you know, whatever, like a, like a, like a geopolitical sense. Um, You can't just save 10,000 years of people um, without rippling into the future and things like that. So with that being said, pride is still stuck on, you know, she, she doesn't, something doesn't feel right. You know, like, like they, she saved the threshold three, she didn't want to leave and that threshold continue to fight them breathing and strife. She didn't want to do that, but it's what they wanted. And she had to, you know, at, as we talked about with Scarlet Witch, I, I have a theme on my mind right now and it's not what she wanted for them, but it's what they wanted. So she realizes that she has to, she has to let them do that, but she just, you know, she feels that she doesn't feel like she's one. And she'll say that in issue 11, doesn't know why. Yeah. So she talks to one of her, uh, another famous X-Men known for spiritual guidance and uh and and who who brings up the tenets of the spark which you know are like move on try new things and mm-hmm. so this is where we come to genosha because it, it's where it all started it's where the first blood was spilled uh, between her and cassandra nova um kate starts to wonder if the first blood spilled means something different for other people for different people um and the question becomes you know hum- mutants are in the the waiting room uh humans are not uh and the bodies are all still there as we saw when ironically wanda accidentally turned them into zombies a couple years ago and so she just starts asking questions you know she's confronted by her friend the spiritual leader says uh, you know uh who who quotes weaponless zen uh because we do read each other's books and Zen has written a letter to him at the end of one of the issues that says, oh, well, the the greatest, there's no idea mightier, there's no weapon mightier than idea. So they challenge Kate and says, well, are you you finally out of weapons or said another way, are you really out of ideas? And so this issue starts with her deciding that she's not really satisfied with graveyards. So she's going to try something new. She's going to move on and try something new. Mm -hmm. So in green, you have uh, Nature Girl letting her hair down and becoming an eco-terrorist. Do you think Nature Girl would be an absolute disaster as a member of the Marauders, or would she be an absolute disaster in the best way possible? Well, here's the thing, and the Nature Girl's mm-hmm. arc is complicated, um, and it's something that I had to pick up from other people. Um I mean, the real answer is that she would be a real disaster because by definition, she can only make things worse now. She can only become, thanks to thanks to Curse's curse, she can only become more of a piece of shit. She's incapable of getting better uh, and, 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 and can't be, and really can't be helped. So yeah, it would be terrible. <laughs> it, it, it would be terrible. Um, but the tragedy is, of course, that that is not fully her choice. Almost none of her choices are her own to... They, uh, to a full extent now because of Curse's curse, but she can do nothing really to help that. So I, I actually look at X-Men Green as a tragic comedy uh, in that respect. Oh, or a tragic Sauron. satire. Comedy is a little harsh. A tragic satire. I mean, Sauron's pretty fucking funny. So I, I don't know. I, I definitely laugh anytime he's... That guy is on a different plane of existence. He is like an internet meme just running around all the time. You can think, listen, I, I love, again, I love to take credit, but I think it was Ryan North that wrote that issue where they're like, oh, you could cure cancer. And he's like, but I don't want to cure cancer. <laughs> dinosaurs. I want to turn people into dinosaurs. One of the best comic panels of all time. <laughs> so we're going to play a little Mary Fuck Kill Marauder style. Uh, I'll start Mary Fuck Kill, Akihiro Somnus Bishop. 
Oh man, I have to kill one of them. Yeah. yeah. Bishop is a cop, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah time uh, cop. Time cop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, but I like that movie. Um, <laughs> Said no one. <laughs> no, no it's, like, it's one of the better Van Damme. Uh, okay. How dare you? Next, next, you'll be saying that you don't like Lionheart. Um. Anyway. That would have crushed if you knew that was a movie. No, but. all the uh, all the uh, <laughs> you know the Van Dam heads out there, they're they're they're, hey, it's, they're holding their sides. They're it's called the Van. They're called the Van. They're called the Van Damned. But uh, <laughs> so uh, no, it would be it would be it would be fuck Bishop, Mary Somnus, uh, and kill Akihiro because he would get better in like a week anyway. So hey. Mary Mary fuck kill Psylocke, Kate Aurora. Oh man, uh, I can't. Kill. This is inherently misogynistic. Um, uh, let me see. Oh, oh but it was I, fine. It was fine to kill the bisexual character. Wow. Okay. It's fine wow. for me to. It's fine for me to do it. Those are the rules. <laughs> um, not killing him because he's bisexual. <laughs> um, uh, no, it would be fuck Aurora. I don't want to kill either of them, but I would probably have to marry Kate and kill Psylocke because she probably wants children and I don't want to have children. Mm. There you go. Uh, well, and she has the daughter that's somewhere in the ether sphere, thanks to Sinister. Uh, and Aurora is probably the best in bed because she's the craziest, right? That's a trap to answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last she, one. She, she's right, uh, probably, she is probably the most dynamic. For sure. Uh, so, uh, threshold edition, Mary Fuck Kill, uh, Amass, Crave, and Thea. I mean, Crave is just like a metaphor for a sexual appetite. He's like my favorite character. I do love that song, this line of, so you eat anything. And he's like, yeah, I eat anything. <laughs> yes, thank you. I'm, I'm shocked that I didn't make it into your little Instagram joke post. Just a giant fucking peach over somebody's <laughs> head. Um, I was offended, but... Um, I'll try harder. Uh, the joke, but but realistically, uh, realistically, I would probably have to marry Crave. I probably have to fuck a mass because what would that even be like? You would just be rolling around like inside his putty body. Uh, yeah, that would definitely be the beast with two backs. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, Brett. <laughs> uh, well. That's by beast, but um, and then I guess so that leaves kill Thea, right? I had a reasoning there, but I've now forgotten. So, uh, was there any reason you picked the great oxygenation event uh, as a time to go back to for your setting for all of this? Yeah, because it's real, uh, and, and and much, and which I thought would surprise people, and I, I do like surprising people when things they think are fiction are reality. Um, and also to be frank from reasoning that I came up with before the show Loki, uh, that then appeared in the show Loki, uh, where they talk about how, if you do, you know, if you're time traveling close enough to like an apocalypse, kind of nothing matters. Right. So it felt like, uh, it felt like we could place this mutant society close enough to their eradication where, um, you know, big things could happen. But it, it wouldn't raise as many questions about sort of the mess and the cleanup after. Um, and it was also just a nice, you know, when you're going billions of years in the past, it's nice to plant a little flag. And that is a bizarre thing that really happened in our uh, in our in our fossil fit history. And you know what else? Um, the article that inspired Threshold that I, I sent to Jonathan 
Um, I want to say it was in the Atlantic, but it could have been in the New Yorker. I could also just be a pretentious ass, but it is a, it is an article and um, and about how there could have been a completely industrialized society that long in the past, and we would have mm-hmm. no record of it. And it brought up the oxygenation event um, as what might have like finally put the nail in the coffin and and destroyed most stuff. So there is it probably is the reason I said, and also the fact that it showed up in the article that inspired Threshold overall. So uh, when we announced on Twitter and Instagram, you know, that we were going to be talking to you again, we obviously asked, we asked our uh, folks who follow us, if you have any questions, Christopher, uh, Christopher Falken, one of our friends on Twitter, also a great artist, asked, um, Samus's powers allowed him to access dreams and interact with people. Do those people immediately fall asleep? Or is it like a brief daydream where they just lose focus for a moment since time moves differently in those dreams? Or is it like Inception, where you have to be kicked at, uh, back in a chair in order to wake up from the dream? Inception? You mean where they never really explain how people are connected? They just have weird wires going between them? No, it's not like that. Um, I'm still waiting to understand how they decide who goes into what, because everybody just has those with that one IV between them. But this is not what you expected me to talk about. Uh, the answer is that I like a good limiting factor. Like, I like there's no power I like more than Black Bolts, where he is incredibly powerful, but his power also renders, renders him incapable of speech, or at least renders it dangerous to talk. So I felt like Sominus would be too powerful if he could put people to sleep. So the answer is that that's one of his factors. He cannot put people to sleep. Like you'll see that for the most part, unless I've fucked up, which does happen from time to time, like Psylocke will put people to sleep. Telepaths will put people to sleep, but he can't actually do that. Um, but once they are asleep, yes, he can go inside your, if he goes inside your mind, uh, he's more of an explorer. He has a little less power. Um, but he can still shape it to an extent to protect himself, but he's mostly an explorer. If you come into, if he welcomes you into his dreamscape, then he's basically all powerful. Um, and yeah, that time that you're sleeping could seem like 30 seconds. It could also seem like 30 to 60 years, as we saw in his debut. Everything, mm-hmm. the subjective reality, especially once you're in his head, is under his control. And I think that he's probably more powerful than he even knows because the dreamscape that he's in is not not the super flow and all those things that appear in like ultimates and things like that. So the, the extent of what he can manipulate within the dreamscape is probably something for either me or future writers to explore. But yeah, I mean, he is basically all powerful within his own mind and in others. Yeah, there's a chance he could be harmed uh, in, in other people's dreams and things like that. I, I think back um, to John Ostrander's Spectre with Tom Mandrake mm-hmm. faced a similar issue. The Spectre can basically do anything. Um, and, uh, and in that book, it was a similar conceit where if he took you into his cloak, you were basically fucked and he could do whatever you want. But if he got, went into your soul, like through your eyeballs or something, then it was a little more loving play level playing field. And maybe you could fight back and take control and, and hurt him. So, I mean, they're clear inspirations for Somnus and that is one of them. Uh, and, and those are also creators I have immense respect for. So, uh, that's where his powers come from, uh, but that is also how they function. He does have uh, some limitations, and yeah, one of them being that he can't just boot people asleep. He could knock you out like any like old school, and then do some stuff. <laughs> where you see stars <laughs> but, and little birds. <laughs> yeah, but he can't just like boop you like Elena's Morissette in Dogma or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Spider Man twenty ninety nine. So when you're thinking about the world of Spider Man twenty ninety nine. Don't you think it's a little unreasonable to assume the planet will exist in 70 years? <laughs> well, I'll have you know, this is why we established it as an alternate reality now. Um, it's now Earth 2099. That's true. Um, 
I mean, I think it's funny that, yeah, we're getting closer and closer. And, you know, like people asked about Brimstone Love in Marauders and they were like, is it time travel? And I was like, no, he's just alive now. Like 2099 is only 70 years from now. So yeah, the future is not- now. Yeah. Joking yeah, yeah. Um, aside, like because uh, uh, I will take your I will take your lead in and run with it. What's shocking to me is that like so much of what folks wrote into this cyberpunk future in 1992, like pretty prescient, like, like, yes, art styles have changed, storytelling and dialogue styles have changed, but like the core concept that money doesn't exist and you just get a social status and a credit card of four different levels that came, that's not for me. It was just so great and created by uh, one of the launch writers, probably Peter David Uh, could have been Howard Mackey um or a couple others like i i had to run with that but it wasn't me it was something that came out in the original series so uh while the base assumption that we'll still be here is perhaps uh somewhat fanciful um i think it got a surprising amount of things right including even things like if you read x-men 2099 they talk about the leaders in between xavier uh and cheyenne who is the leader um i'm probably not stressing that right but the 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 leader the leader of the 2099 team like both of the names imply that they were people of color, uh, you know, like a lot. And, and you're like, wow, this is 1992. So, um, yeah, joking aside, they, they did have a lot of things, I think, uh, on the right direction. But I, perhaps no one uh, really understood, like, the don't look up aesthetic that we're experiencing now uh, in 1992 otherwise. So let me ask you this, since you didn't include X-Men um, in the Spider-Man Exodus, Spider-Man 29 Exodus miniseries, Obviously, you've got Brimstone Love as your first antagonist when you wrote the Marauders. In your headcanon, what happened to Krakoa before 2099? This isn't official. This is just Steve Orlando's headcanon. Um, I mean... Or is your headcanon corrupted by knowing the reality and the truth? And you can't come up with something on the spot that seems... No, there's, there's no reality uh, until we get a chance to go back to, to that, to, the, to visit those characters in 2099. So nothing I say is canon yet. I have to feel like in the revised timeline, President Doom would have decimated it or or, or, or not stood for that, you know. Um, but there's also a series of like like mutant diseases that are not the legacy virus uh, yeah. and that, that could have taken it out. Um, but that said, there are survivors, you know, like there's ways we could explore that. Our rogue is just rogue, like she's still alive. Uh, our was going to be actually it was actually going to be laura until i read jerry scripts for uh the past three months and then it was not laura uh it was not old lady laura but um so there are characters that have survived in it and it's something to explore but that was one of the the benefits of coming now is that we could do this 30th anniversary event but yeah we could reference a bunch of stuff that in a literal sense didn't exist when the book debuted and now we can weave it all in uh and that's been that's been fun. It would be nice to explore, but clearly Oasis X that we set up is a strongly, I mean, it's one part the garden from uh, Warren Ellis and Tom Randy's Stormwatch, and then it's one part Krakoa as it is. Right. Um, so let's say someone, maybe someone like Steve Fox, your good friend, co-writer, wrote a Steve Orlando 2099 book. You're the main character. What would, but you in the future, what would be the characteristics of this main character? You have to wear a Tron outfit, by the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would, I would just be gaping. No, like I'd be, I'd be the like, like. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Steve Orlando like says I'll oh, be gaping time soon. Travel. You said time travel. I was like, in 2099, I would be 114 years old. Uh, but you didn't mean that I lived through that. <laughs> um, oh, it's future, Steve. No, I'm just, I'm just projecting into my peripheral, who's like yeah. much more svelte and loves wearing Tron things at a circuit party. No, no. Um, I should start. 
no, no, real like real Steve. I mean, if I wasn't running comics, I'd be doing stuff like the relief stuff we talked out talked about after. So that's probably what I would really be doing. But if it was Steve Fox writing it, to be clear, it would just be going on and on about like Polish sausage and like, <laughs> uh, and then mocking him for being vegan and 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 claiming to be a moderate. Like that's what it would be if he wrote it. So. Okay, all right. The year is 2099. The only currency is Polish sausage. Yeah, and he would be my villain, and I would just be trying to touch his feet repeatedly, and uh, that would be the book. It would be drawn uh, by, it would be drawn by, well, the, the dark answer is that it'll just be drawn by an AI of, of <laughs> at that point, but uh, but but we'll see. It'll be drawn by by the, the 13th generation Qbert. Oh, well, there you go. So when you're writing a character like Spider-Man 2099, there isn't the same folk status as like, you know, original Spider-Man that if you were to ask people, name a comic book superhero, they would say Spider-Man or Batman or Superman, whatever. And that can be really constraining. But you've also got another constraint, which is, you know, following Peter David. Those constraints can be really hard. Is there anything about writing a character like that that is freeing? Is there anything that you you really enjoy that you get to do? So I got to work through my Peter jokes. Uh, <laughs> joking aside, I hope he's doing well. I know that uh, he's he's. He, I saw he put uh, uh, either GoFundMe or Indiegogo up recently because uh, uh, he's dealing with some stuff. So if you are a Peter David fan, by the way, please seek it out. I'm sure he could use your help. Uh, but but it is not. It's 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 I don't want to say it's not intimidating to follow Peter because like well first of all Peter wouldn't be intimidated to follow anybody if you know him uh, and but but there is there there's an excitement there because the work he did was amazing uh, so it's just a pivot on the same emotion um, but yeah I mean like like it is it, it's a great opportunity to be able to build your own take on a character so it's funny because at the same time like the vision of who Miguel is has been shaped by Peter so much that it's a very clear picture it's not like writing Peter Parker where he's had hundreds and hundreds of people write him if not thousands at this point since 1960 question mark uh so uh 64 62, um, I think is we'll fix this in post yeah we'll make you say the right thing 64 so yeah, like yeah. uh so like you know like very much what the creators of of Miguel think that he would do in most situations and then it's just about how to take that and make it your own so in some ways it is easier uh to have like a a true to character vision um but it is a nice challenge you know i we it's very apparent early on when you read the stuff and this is what i say to people that Miguel i mean I saw Oscar Isaac give an interview about Across the Spider-Verse where he said that Miguel's the only unfunny spider. And I don't know if I would go that far, but I do think Miguel is the scariest one. Like he's not mm -hmm. Venom, but he is even, I mean, under Peter for years, his, he's he's got a wit, but it's cutting. Um, and he's probably angrier than Peter. You know, I mean, he's jokes about drinking someone's blood in the first issue of, of Exodus. And it was very much him. Like, obviously, he knows that's bullshit, but the other person doesn't. Wouldn't like, you have that attitude, though, if, like, spiders came out or, like, cobwebs came out of your ass? I mean, that's pretty much, like, I'd be a fucking piece of shit, too. If... I don't know. I think it'd be... Actually, cobwebs coming out of my ass, that's Speed Orlando 2099. So. <laughs> there you go. Heard it here first. I feel like it'd be a pretty serious stab if Green Goblin said to me, you're not the funny one. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Ooh, For you specifically, right? yeah, that I would cry. be that would be very very cutting. Are you looking forward to Across the Spider Verse? By the way, 
I mean, hell yeah. I thought the first one was amazing. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's one of the first comic book movies I watched with my guy just by coincidence. Uh, so the, that series holds a special place in our heart. But yeah, and I'm excited to see who else appears. But I'm very excited for Miguel. I mean, it's not, you know, you, you in t- at times as a comic writer, you find ways to get excited about a character or find out what makes them tick. This is not the case with me in 2099. I've got every fucking trading card. I've been a fan for decades uh, it was the cool shit, you know, when I was seven years old. So I am really excited because if you had asked me or told me then that I'd be sitting down in a theater to see anything featuring Spider-Man 2099 in a, in a mainstream production, I would be shocked. Uh, and so and I feel that way about a lot of things. I feel the way about the fact that there's a Doom Patrol show that got four seasons uh getting four seasons uh so no i'm super excited the arts i mean i'm excited for how many different art styles are rumored to appear in it and it's going to be gorgeous you know so so i very much uh, i'm looking forward to it all right you want to play a game sure okay sure fred Uh, savage let's play a game the game is called curse or worse whether it's (laughs) you can barely contain yourself reading i'm so excited i get to play a game Uh, Whether it's a two billion year old Hellraiser puzzle box for Kate Pride to open, a Twilight Zone door that brings you to Wanda Maximoff, but only if you're out of hope, or a book bound in flesh with a foreword by Eric Trump, the Darkhold, the importance of objects can't be overstated in Steve's writing. So we thought we'd like to see which magical objects Steve would prefer in a game we're calling Curse or Worse. So I'm going to give you some objects and I want you to tell us why you'd rather have one over the others. So my first category is deadly weapons. Would you rather have the ebony blade, a magic sword, which can cut through anything, prevent the death of its wielder and deflect any magic, but it consumes the user with a lust for violence and death or Excalibur, a magic sword that makes its user theoretically invincible, but now you're obligated to rule England where family members will not stop making Netflix docuseries about everything you've done wrong. <laughs> you make Excalibur sound really fun. <laughs> uh well, I mean, th- to be honest, being being trash from central New York, the second sword you describe, which imbues you with a lust for wanton ultraviolence, doesn't sound that bad to me. So I will clearly take that one over the others because I see no downside in your description. Great. All right. So he picks the ebony blade. All right. The next object. Oh, it's not the ebony. Oh, there were only two. I thought there were three. No, I could give you a third if you want. Well, lots of guys have told me that, but like, (laughs) I just, I just heard like an M dash after ebony blade. So I thought you were just like, boom, Orlando knows what the ebony blade is. Let's move on. I love that you're still talking about sword fighting here. Um, But are we kind of always talking about sword fighting in our culture? Exactly. It's a gay podcast. podcast. Look, if you want a third, I'll get you a third. Next, next, All right. next object. All right, the next objects make your wishes come true, but have to remind you to be careful because what you wish for, uh, because nothing can just be awesome. Would you rather have a monkey's paw, which grants three wishes, which come at enormous price if they mess with fate, or a magic lamp, which possesses a genie who will grant three wishes, but is obsessed with making sure all the details are worked out in the fine print? No, oh, I mean, again, it would be the lamp, obviously, because you've just described me in any contract negotiation. So I, I like I, I really relate to everything you described in the lamp. There's no question. Perfect. With great power comes annoying responsibilities. These next objects force you to answer. Will you do the right thing? Would you rather have a a box with a button that grants your wish but kills a person somewhere? That's literally a movie. Go on. Yeah. Yes. A lot of these are from stuff, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> 
But you have B, the one <laughs> ring, which turns you invisible and grants you eternal life, but you have to destroy it or it'll make you look gross. Uh, or C, the helmet of Nabu, which grants immense power to the user, but also makes them responsible for protecting order by decree of a space god. Okay, but if the second one, if you're invisible, why does it matter if you look gross? Because you always have to wear it and then no one can see you. Mm, I don't really feel a downside there, but I like your joke about uh, the helmet of Nabu and Dr. Fate's like my second favorite DC character. So despite the implications, I have to accept the helmet of Nabu. Great. Lastly, while plenty of magical objects try to make us reflect on our humanity, some can just be used to make us the coolest cats in the room. Would you rather have A, a picture of Dorian Gray type painting, which will collect all of your sins and wrongdoing and keep you looking beautiful, or B, the Blarney Stone, which gives you excellence in elocution and mastery of flattery with humor and wit. I'm sorry, I'm still, like the, the tagline for this entire podcast has to be, yes, Steve, some of these things come from stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, honestly, like, I've never been defeated like that. That was like a Mortal Kombat fatality. But uh, the answer is clearly the Blarney Stones. Let's just get that out of the way. But because uh, again, I see no downside. <laughs> I mean, kiss a rock. Uh, but I'm just still so I'm I'm so demeaned and deflated after being destroyed on live uh, on on live podcast like that. I, I didn't mean to tap, decapitate you that way. No, would really. I'm. It's yeah. like a. It's like the brutality. It's not even the fucking fatality. All right. Well, here's a bonus question. Even though we don't like the turf J.K. Rowling, we do like the concept of Horcruxes, which are objects imbued with the soul of their creator. If your soul was broken up and put into objects, which objects would they be put into? <laughs> I really, you team me up. It's really hard not to give dirty answers. Um, Dirtier the better, yeah. Steve. Go nuts. Give it's a rated fan, R podcast. Give, give the fans what they want. Yeah. Which is to not listen to this. <laughs> sex, 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 sex cells. One of them is going to be Chastin Buttigieg's G spot because it'll be totally safe. Oh my oh, God. Jesus. Political. Christ. All right. No, those dudes, they've definitely had sex like one time, but like, so it counts. But otherwise, definitely like back to back master. You have to be careful because he, his husband is the transportation secretary. He knows how to find you. <laughs> um, so, other than that, um, where else, where else, where else would they be safe? Uh, could one could be in my vintage Fisto action figure that is in my parents' basement in Syracuse? I, I have that figure too. I got it as a uh, seven year old, and I know whoever gave it to me was like, this little faggot wants this toy. I saw a new design of Fisto when I was in Third Eye Comics, uh, which I love Third Eye. This is not their fault, but I was like, new nobody wants new Fisto. Like, Fisto yeah. is, you need to lean in. Um, where else? It would be in a copy of um, Michael Simino's The Sicilian, a movie that I'm convinced that I've seen five times and has been viewed overall in the world seven times. So we'd be pretty safe there. There's a movie where Christoph Lambert stars as a Sicilian uh, modern Robin Hood, noted Italian actor Christoph Lambert. Um, let's see, what else? Give, give one more. Yeah, so it would also have to be in uh, the the copy of uh, the copy of Aliens meets no Predator meets Tarzan that I've been trying to buy online uh, or no Predator meets Magna or Magnus which I've been trying to buy online because uh, I've been incapable to find one for less than like 
$600, which is yeah. a lot for a single comic. Uh, and nobody's buying that except me anyway. So that feels very safe. Well, you heard it here, folks. In order to kill Steve Orlando, you have to stab Chase and Buttigieg in the asshole with a with a with a snake's tooth. What, no, with a copy of, of Predator versus yeah, Magnus. Yeah, you roll it. You snake the tone. Just roll it. Way to kill Steve Orlando. Yeah. So Steve, it's, but it's got to be like a CGC like nine point eight though too. So you're really just like oh, oh yeah. it's got to be it's got to be uh what's the what's nine point eight? It's like uh very not very fine. It's like near mint or mint at this point, right? Double mint. Double mint. There you go. Double mint. Speaking of hmm. the third dick. Uh, so it's the start of 2023. Uh, have you thought about your convention schedule yet? Uh, I've thought about it, but I have no idea what it's going to be. Uh, I, I would I would love to have a better answer, but it simply doesn't exist yet. I will say I tend to do the Galaxy Con shows. Uh, I love those folks. Uh, there's mm -hmm. one that I will not be able to do because it falls during family stuff uh, in Richmond, I think in March. But then there's gonna there's almost always one in uh, Ohio. Uh, there's frequently one in Raleigh. Uh, that is to say Columbus and Raleigh. And I believe there's one in Austin this year. And I intend to be at as many of those as I can as I can make happen outside of the Richmond one. Uh, and you know, you'll, I'm you'll, I'm always at New York City Comic Con, so I expect there'll be more. I'll probably be at Baltimore or Awesome Con, um, and there's a couple others I'm hoping to do. But other than Galaxy, which I'm just making an educated guess about, I do not know yet. I, I hope to know soon. I wish I had cool answers, but they simply uh, have not yet materialized. Well, we hope to see you in person for sure. And so, Steve, where can our listeners find you on the social medias, as the kids say? Well, I'm on Instagram at the Steve Orlando, and for a while we were saying for as long as it exists, but I feel like things have leveled out. So I'm also on Twitter at the Steve Orlando, uh, and those are my yeah, two. What's the, give us, give the friends the uh, that alt Twitter, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's at, at Ebony Blade slash Excalibur. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's at Steve underscore Fox actually, but. Uh, <laughs> um and those are the those are the i'm easy to find there like uh, i try to keep things private on or not, or not private but personal on facebook so that i have one little island to be uh, a traditional human but i'm very accessible on instagram i cannot spoil what's going to happen in the future of books because that's what buying the books is for but i'm happy to talk about other things uh and yeah especially twitter i i much like many people i'm there too often yeah well, for uh, Homo Superior, you can find us at Homo Superior X on Twitter and Homo Superior Podcast on Instagram. Uh, get into our DMs about uh, asking more questions for Steve Orlando that we didn't get to today. And if you want to, you know, give us some suggestions of different creators and uh, different folks you want us to interview in Creator Crush. But Steve, thanks again so much for joining us. We'll have you back another time sooner rather than later and hope to see you in person very soon. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be here anytime. Thanks, Steve. Thanks. Bye, everyone.